This is The Guardian. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. Scotland's World Cup dreams are over, but sometimes a result just feels right. More than half of Ukraine's starting eleven hadn't played a competitive game in 2022 and they're through to a playoff with Wales to reach the World Cup and deservedly so. Yarmolenko has that in his locker. Zinchenko ran the game and Scotland didn't really turn up. Missed chances when they came and but for Craig Gordon, it could have been more. We'll preview Sunday's game after Wales rested a bunch of players in their defeat to Poland. There's England's Nations League campaign to look forward to. Argentina win La Finalis. Sadio Mane is going to buy Munich. Paul Pogba's leaving Manchester United. People are angry about the PFA Player of the Year awards. And cue the life of Riley. We ask Ben Fisher for his anecdote of the season. All that plus your questions. And that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, in room 510 at the Marriott in Glasgow, Nick Ames, welcome. Hello, Max. How are you? I'm very good. In an undisclosed room, also in the Marriott in Glasgow, it's Ewan Murray. Hello, Ewan. Hello, how are you doing? Uh, very well. Couldn't the Guardian have saved money and you could have top and tailed after this? It's absolute, you know, when people say you've read 15 articles this year, give us some money. They're not saying well, so we can put two journalists in separate rooms. This is an outrage. Stop giving them ideas. <laughs> also, also uh, joining us uh, in a hotel. What room are you in, Ben? 405. In room 405 in a hotel in Rotsav. In Poland, uh, it is Ben Fisher. Welcome. Hi, Max. Uh, right. Uh, let's begin with Scotland-Ukraine then. So, Ben, you can sort of relax, I guess, uh, at the start of the pod. Um, I mean, obviously, we'll talk about the football match. I'd, I think we should talk about the emotion of the of the game first. Uh, look, you were both there, Nick and Ewan. Um, how was it in the stadium, Nick? Yeah, it was... Um, it was... There was obviously the, the respect for aspect of it towards Ukraine and, and the Scotland fans were very good at that when the anthem came, came around and there was a group of them singing the Ukrainian anthem and playing Ukrainian music on the steps outside Hampton um, before which was very nice but you know inside there was no there was no mistake in the fact that that Scotland fans wanted their team to win it was it was definitely intensely partisan from the moment Flower of Scotland came on onwards um there was a, a large pocket of Ukraine fans in the corner that made a fantastic noise um, for the entire game and for a lot of the game singing songs in favour of, of, of the Ukraine armed forces, which was a constant reminder of what was going on back home. Um, and it, yeah, it, it was it was highly charged throughout. Um, there was definitely never any any suggestion that, that the Scottish fans, let alone the players, were going to go easy on Ukraine. Although arguably the, the Scotland team feared by by not really showing up. Um, but what really in, um, impressed me, and as you said, we'll we'll come to the football, was that um, that the Ukraine players they played with their hearts. That was a huge motivation obviously but they play with their heads too which i think was why they won the game they 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 put on a bit of a clinic in terms of 
being composed and calm and structured and technical. Whereas I think a lot of the question before was, are they going to go too hell for leather? Are they going to be sort of completely off the leash and, and, and go wild and sort of get picked apart? But uh, no, it, it was an, um, an incredible atmosphere in there. And after, um, after every single goal and, and at full time when they all, all ran towards the fans, you, you, you could see how much it meant. And you could look down to the technical area and see Petrikov, the coach, at, at full time holding both arms aloft and sort of almost half sinking to his knees. Um, yeah, really, really special atmosphere. Do you think, Ewan, the, the, the emotion surrounding it affected Scotland more? Or do you just think Scotland aren't as good as Ukraine? Yeah, I mean, I asked Steve Clark about that after the game, whether that was a factor. He denied that and just said that the better team won and, and it was a football issue rather than one involving the, the backdrop. I think there might be a little bit of that, but, but Scotland have previous for not quite rising to the football occasion and I look back to the, the Euros, the home games against Croatia and the Czech Republic where a bit like last night there was a slight sense that Scotland suffered from stage fright, didn't didn't quite get up to the 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 status of the game and I think there was a bit of that again and it's frustrating because I, I look back to what was it, November when Scotland played Denmark and were exceptional against Denmark at Hampden, played some very, very good football and, and to me showed what a good team they can be and last night they were nowhere near that level. And, and and I think perhaps we were a little bit guilty of not realising how good a team Ukraine are. And they have some, you mentioned it, but look through that team, they have some fantastic players and they're physically very strong. Scotland were missing Kieran Tierney, which is a, you know, a big thing. But I think on the night, too many of Scotland's better players were, were way short of the level that they would want to be at. And yeah, I, I think at a football level they just they weren't at it but I, I think it's hard to avoid that perhaps the occasion got to Scotland and, and the emotion did you know Nick said play with their hearts and their heads but I think I think the the backdrop fueled Ukraine more than perhaps Scotland would, would want to admit I mean you've done so much work covering Ukraine you know footballers affected in Ukraine speaking to going to Slovenia to the the base where they were training I mean you'd be forgiven for losing any impartiality you're I don't know if you're meant to have any anyway you can you can like whatever you like Nick you don't need to tell you that but it it, it is I just wonder how sort of sort of how much you personally were sort of willing them on like when you like that the idea that half this team have not played this year is sort of extraordinary oh look I I I really like watching Scotland when they're at their best, but I did want Ukraine to win yesterday. So I'm 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 pleased that they won. And I I, I think they were more than any team has been in, in recent history, the sort of classic um, neutrals favourites, weren't they? I think it was six of the starting lineup of Ukraine hadn't really played since December in a competitive aspect. And just just to recap for people, the domestic base players from Shakhtar and Dynamo Kiev um, were able um, in April basically to play charity games, um, which were raising money for the effort against the invasion. They played a lot of friendly matches for their clubs in, in countries like Poland and, and, and Greece and, and Croatia and places like this. And then they all went into a training camp. So, so basically, what what they had all had, and bear in mind that the, these players had had a sort of mid-season break that started in their league in in December anyway, before it was curtailed. Um, they'd all been on kind of one long training camp for about three months, and 
I was very interested to, to see how how they responded to that because a they just done a lot of training and a lot of say low grade friendlies. I mean, I, I went to one of the charity games. It was a fantastic occasion, but it wasn't a competitive game of football. Um, they played against three club teams in preparation for this game in May, um, but those games didn't have much edge at all. And obviously, you're in a training camp camp for that long. Do you go a bit stir crazy? Do you stop taking in information, um, or does it bring you closer together and bond you? But you don't really know how how it's going to play out in practice when you get out on um, on on that pitch. But maybe it was an advantage in some ways. Maybe maybe the six players that started that hadn't played a meaningful game for so long were um, were fresh. I mean, you did see signs of tiredness especially in the sort of 10 minutes before Scotland scored um, when, you know, Scotland did put on a decent spell of pressure um, midway th- um, through that second half. I think if, if John McGinn had scored a bit earlier, it could have been a bit of a different affair. He missed an absolute sitter. And at full time when, when Dobbick, the substitute, rammed in the third goal with the last action of the game, None of the Ukrainian players could really keep up with him to celebrate. They they all sank to, um, to their knees. Even, even Zinchenko, who, by the way, put in a remarkable performance. He was the best player on that pitch, head and shoulders, with, with maybe Stepanenko behind him. Um, Zinchenko somehow carried that ball up the pitch and set him up, and he he couldn't even run run to join him. He, he was so absolutely goosed, you know. Um, so there was definitely a bit of tiredness t- um, towards the end and we'll see how that plays into the Wales game on Sunday but yeah they, um, there was no suggestion for most of that game that these guys hadn't played much football and also the foreign based players some of them had only shown up a, a few days ago to join the domestic based players so it was a it was a mishmash of a preparation but it never looked like it for, for one minute of that game really. Does that make it worse for Scotland? I'm trying to work this out Ewan that it's almost like this was an experiment of a a team who've just done pre-season playing a team who playing the last game of the season and working out who is more tired or who is less ready. No, I, I think I would maybe flip that in its head. I mean, you could look through the Scotland team and say, McTominay is obviously not at a very good time at Manchester United. Gilmer's had a bad time at, at Norwich City. Um, you know, you could go through John McGinn. I don't think has had the best season at Aston Villa. Andy Robertson's just coming off you know, days ago, the Champions League final and all involved in that. Um, you could say that the, the, the preparation and situation involving a number of those Scotland players wasn't ideal. I'm not making excuses for them. As I said, they were, to me, they were way short of, of where they can be. Um, you know, Grant Hanley, the main centre-back, again, just been relegated with Norwich. I, I, I thought Ukraine, Nick's right, they did, they did wilt a little bit for a spell in the second half, but... I thought they looked perfectly well drilled and perfectly well in control of what they were doing and as if that training camp had, had been very helpful to them. And, and I wouldn't say Scotland had the ideal preparation or, or circumstances um, around you know their, their, their squad as a, as a sharp contrast to that. I don't, think, I don't think that makes it worse. I just think the situation was that Scotland underperformed and, and Steve Clark from the outset and playing Lyndon Dykes up front alongside... Shea Adams, which I think he overthought, actually. That was a mistake. It didn't pay off. And by the time he changed that at half-time, you know, a couple of minutes later, Scotland are 2-0 down and the game's gone. So I, I, I think it's maybe a mistake to overplay that Ukraine's 
preparation was so bad and Scotland was so perfect. So I don't really think that's the case. You see, I I, I thought at the at the outset, I thought if if I'm a centre back who hasn't played properly since December, do I really want to see Lyndon Dykes up, up, up against me, sort of bullying yes. me up top? But yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't it happen, did it? Yeah. I, I just think, I mean, I, I, I don't know, but I think very, very few teams at the top level of international football play with two strikers like that. And I, and I think what happened was every time the Scotland central defenders especially got the ball, they just lumped it long towards Dykes. It's just the tendency to do that. Whereas in the middle of the pitch, I say Gilmer, I thought I had a poor night, but Gilmer and McGregor are good football players. You want to play the ball through them. So, so to me, the obvious thing to do, and they did it against Denmark, was play Ryan Christie just off Shea Adams. That's what he did in the second half, and it was a bit better. But I, I just think Steve Clark overthought that on the basis of physicality. Perhaps what you say, you know, play the big centre forward up against a, um, the centre backs. But that 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 was a you can't say that worked. That was a tactical failure um, ultimately. What's the what's the fallout likely to be, you? And I mean, because because actually getting coming second in your group, getting to a playoff is kind of where Scotland should be, right? Shouldn't they? Well, well, I think so, but I, I was struck by the kind of ferocity of the criticism of the team and the manager last night that was quite quite severe. I mean, I, I look at where we were when Steve Clark came in. I think of the, you know, what's that, three years. Um, we've been to a major championship at last. We've been to the semi-final. And, and you can't get away from the fact that circumstances around that semi-final probably didn't help Scotland. If, if the game had happened in March, things were different. Better chance to win, possibly. Obviously, uncontrollable what happened there. But, um, yeah, I, I don't think it's all doom and gloom at all. But I, I think there's a frustration and a disappointment because last night played well short of their, of their capabilities. And I think people are allowed to be annoyed about that. But I, I do think, big picture, this is a team that's largely on the right track with a very, very good coach. Um, and there are streets ahead of where they were, as I say, when, when he took the job. And even in the early stages of him, Taking the job, so I wouldn't be inclined to be too despondent. But I, you know, I, I do think sometimes there's um, a rush to get stuck into the national team and fire into the national team and the manager, which I think this time's a little bit over the top and a, a little bit misplaced. You and as as a very infre- infrequent visitor up here, um, I, I, I was struck by by how supportive the Hampton crowd were at, at the outset and also when they got up the head of steam mid or second half, the noise was absolutely tremendous by um, by, by any measure. But but they were very quick to boo, I thought, even at, even at sort of 2-0. Like, yeah, they, they they sort of turned on and off quite quite rapidly. Is, it, is, it, is, is that normal here? Yeah, I think so. Not slow to criticise. But again, expectations have been raised. I mean, this is a team which had been done nothing for so long. Even look at the attendances at, at Hamden around about 2017, 2018. Scotland would be playing in front of 20,000 people. It wouldn't be a full house. So with that raising of expectations comes that, you know, expectancy. You know, we're going to get to a World Cup the first time since 1998. And people, as I say, I noticed that the, the strength of the criticism was that people were angry and frustrated that that's not happened. I, I tend to step back a little bit, maybe look a little bit more dispassionately and just think, Ukraine are ranked higher than Scotland in the world. Ukraine have a lot of good players. We have no divine right to to beat them, actually regardless of what the circumstances are. I mean, you factor in a lot of the circumstances, there are reasons why it probably didn't work for Scotland. And, and you know, I'll be interested to see the, the, the fitness and fatigue element around Ukraine is now interesting 
because they've got to go. They've got to go to Wales so quickly. But to, to me, Ukraine are a are a very very decent team who could, um, all things been equal, who could quite easily go to Wales and, and and beat them as well. Andrew says fairly sure Barry Glendening could have scored that header that John McGinn just missed. It was a terrible. I mean, it was a terrible miss, unbelievable miss, wasn't it? Uh, there was a moment where Ian Crocker said something about McGinn again, and I just I couldn't stop thinking of that song. What is that? Is it somebody Finnegan? What's the what is it in my head? And can anybody remember it? Does or am I going completely mad? I just started singing this song about somebody Finnegan because he'd said McGinn again, and, <laughs> and then I just I don't know. I mean, keep it in. Someone will help me. Producer Joel knows that song, but I just don't know what that song is, and I couldn't be bothered to Google it. That was, that was, it was also, Max, that was the, I mean, I think it's probably fair to say that Scotland's best opportunities were created by Ukraine's goalkeeper. Yes, he was incredible, wasn't he? That was one example of that, where he just he just knocked the ball right onto John McGinn's head, having kicked the ball straight against Callum McGregor, and then at the Scotland goal, which I'm convinced Callum McGregor was just trying to keep the ball alive, he, he just tosses it into the net. It was an extraordinary performance. Here we go. There was an old man named Michael Finnegan. He had whiskers on his chin again, along came the wind and blew them in again. Poor old Michael Finnegan begin again. Um, thanks, Joel. Uh, you, you've, you've made me happy, if no one else. So what, what happens to Scotland now? Nations League and then <laughs> crack into the Euros qualifying, is it? Yeah, they play Armenia next midweek. I mean, I, uh, I don't know what... They, I, I think they should probably give the players a few days off because they don't play till Wednesday and it's all going to be pretty flat around that camp. And then they go to Dublin and play, play Ireland um, next Saturday, which at least will be a big occasion and a big game but there will be despondency they'll feel sorry for themselves in the short term and I would, I would hope and think the players will maybe get some time to to themselves um, and then come back for Armenia which will be a strange flat occasion I would imagine before Dublin and then um, then a break at last the season can end and uh, you say it can end it never ends you and <laughs> football football never ends although we got told off yesterday for saying there's too much football you know <laughs> on the pod I can't keep repeating it I think I, th- I think uh, as Andy Robertson played something like 120 games in two seasons I think he may well say there's too much football yeah probably um, and, and Nick listen you're not in Ukraine and you can't speak for everyone there but I, I wonder from the people that you've spoken to and, and when you went over to meet the team and stuff kind of symbolically what this means f- for the country oh ab- absolute delight and ju- just um, just to give you an idea of, of of the conditions that people were absorbing that game in i i think in certain parts of the country i i think i'm right to say definitely in lviv and i think if it's happening in lviv it will be in other parts of the country too there were sirens going on like as as the game started and maybe even as the first goal went in and people people watching it find, finding a way to watch in in bomb shelters and huddling around tvs and that kind of thing which is doesn't need me to say it's no way to watch a football match but people pe- people were watching in, in conditions like that and I, I i spoke to a couple of players afterwards i, I spoke to, to malinovsky then very good atalanta midfielder and um Stepanenko, who I, I referenced earlier, who I, I thought was an absolute rock in front of, of the back four, really pinned it all together. And um, Stepanenko especially was saying that straight after the game, he, he'd had texts from friends in the army um, saying, thank thank you so much, you've done this for us. Um, he, he'd spoken a bit about that pre-match too, but uh, he said, yeah, he um, he had like a stream of messages from, from people who are serving their country, you know, at the 
absolute sharp end. So no, look, I've, I've, I've always spoken to one or two friends since just via WhatsApp or Telegram and, and they're absolutely delighted, not even regular football fans, a couple of them, um, just, you know, um, this is something that the country did want. We've, we've had the discussion quite a lot, I think, in the last few months, is football important in this situation, haven't we? Um, and, and I think the response to this suggests that it is. And it does hold that wider significance and give people something to something to hang on to. Uh, all right, that'll do for uh, part one. Can I just say, Ben, that you were fantastic in that part. I really... Uh... Thank you very much. I have to say, when you said about McGinn again, I thought the only song I could think of was... So you win again, hot chocolate, which... that I mean, it also scans. It, it does scan. Who knew that Ian Crocker saying McGinn again? Would, he could release perhaps a... Ian Crocker could do like a kind of uh, an album, like a compilation album of songs that fit McGinn again. <laughs> the fact Ewan, Ewan looks like he's <laughs> losing the will to live. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that'll do for part one, part two. We'll look ahead to Sunday's game. Ewan, your, your time is done. Thank you, mate. Thank you. I'll uh, chat to you all soon. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com ACAST. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly, the live show. There are still tickets available, except in Dublin. Although I got an email saying there were 14 tickets left for the 4th of July in Dublin. So maybe there are. See if you can find one. Uh, Leeds, the 13th of June, Jonathan Wilson, John Bruin. Birmingham, the 15th of June, John Bruin and Jordan Jarrett Bryan. The 19th of June in Manchester, Philippe Clare, Lars Sivertsen out through injury. Uh, so A.N. other. He may be fit for Dublin. We're not sure. It's touch and go for Sivertsen, a late fitness test. If not, uh, somebody fun will join me, Baz and Mark Langdon. Uh, Hackney on the 8th of July, Troy Townsend, Jonathan Wilson, Nicky Bandini, Ellis James, who was on the pod on Monday, by the way, uh, after the Wales game, uh, Barney Ronay and Sid Lowe, and Philippe O'Claire and Jonathan Wilson in Glasgow on the 13th of July. Go to myticket.co.uk, especially if you're a family of 400 from Birmingham. Uh, now, uh, um, Wales, uh, you're in Poland, Ben. You saw Wales lose to uh, to them yesterday in the Nations League. Obviously, this game, they don't really care, right? They rested a bunch. And actually, it looked quite promising from what I saw. Yeah, Wales were quite good. And I, I was worried when the team sheet landed. I was worried about quite how heartening or maybe damaging the, the night could have been. Obviously, Dan James, Kiefer Moore both started in a up front in attack. Um, they came off at half-time, as did Danny Ward, and those are the only three, I think, who have any chance of of playing on Sunday or starting on Sunday. But Wales were good for quite a long spell. And, I mean, Danny Ward made a really good save from Lewandowski, who who made a sort of mockery of some of the defending at times. But generally, Wales did pretty well. Um, they coped pretty admirably with some really good players. I don't know. I mean, people like Wes Burns making his debut, uh, the Ipswich player, Ipswich wing back. Matt Smith was really good. Um, pe- people who you know are just not really going to play a part on Sunday. Let's face it. You know, did themselves sort of justice. Really, Chris Gunter uh, against Lewandowski is kind of the the jewel everybody wanted to see. I think you know, unattached defender against 
maybe the world, world's best striker <laughs> or one of the best. Um, but yeah, Wells, I mean, they lost the game, but like Rob Page said after, if you're going to lose the game, probably all right to lose it that way. And in the grand scheme of things, nobody really cares. No injuries, that's the, the big plus. Um, everybody else, Bale, Ramsey, Allen, Ben Davies, who weren't even in the squad, um, were part of the, you know, in the changing room and around for the whole game. So everybody was there. And now, yeah, just full steam ahead to, to Sunday. Um, Wales are training today, so Thursday, back in Cardiff. So, yeah, it's all focus on that now. Was it Chris Gunter who Lewandowski did with that Cruyff turn sort of on the halfway line before before he, Danny Ward made that great save? Because the only highlights I could find were Welsh language highlights. And it's a... I mean, it's not a language I hear very often. It's such a sort of melodic language, but it was a bit like that sort of Harry Enfield sketch. Because then just in the middle of it, you just heard Cruyff turn and then banging on with Welsh. He, he, Lewandowski, I think he nutmeg Dylan Levitt on halfway, then Chris Mepham, but he definitely nutmeg Gunter, maybe at that point or also at another point. Lewandowski did have some real, real fun at times. But yeah, Welsh did all right, to be fair. And I, like I said, I, I was worried that they could take a bit of a hit not that that really would have mattered too much but yeah they came out of it lots of credit um and so so on on sunday it's it, quite similar in a night in, in a way isn't it ukraine going to scotland partisan crowd real hopes of getting to, for that you know the opposition to get to their first world cup for years and it's i mean it's even longer for wales but there are there are real similarities between for, for what ukraine face i guess ben. yeah and i think wales are very conscious of that i, I do think they definitely would rather have played Ukraine. Um, I mean, in the square last night, I caught the last sort of 20 minutes of that game and everybody, all the all the Wales fans that certainly have had a good time out here were, um, you know, pleading for extra time. But I think they also just wanted Ukraine to be, you know, leggy, uh, as, as, as leggy as possible. But I think Scotland was the game that probably would have, they would have been more nervous about, more fearful about. Lots of people out here have been saying, oh, that, that one would be more 50-50. But again, maybe... That would be quite naive of Wales to think of, of Ukraine like that. Um, I think, as Nick said, you know, you, you just don't know quite how much Ukraine now have left in the tank for Sunday. Obviously, it's quite tight turnaround. I'm not sure how quickly they'll travel down to, to Cardiff. But, um, yeah, it's going to be Wales against the world, really, on Sunday, isn't it? Uh, and, and so, Nick, what, what do you think? I mean, just from having watched Ukraine yesterday, obviously the fitness is a big question uh, and tiredness. Sort of, what's your hunch going into that game? Yeah, if, if, if Ben wants to know Ukraine's travel schedule, the coach Petrikov gave it in full in, in his press conference afterwards. I believe it's in the eleven thirty flight um, or something along those lines. And um, what what is my hunch? Um, I mean, that was the main question, sort of thro- throwing it forward to the guys I spoke to after the game, Stepanenko and Malinovsky, because quite a few Ukraine players as well in that second half yesterday took some wax and you, you saw Stepanenko go, go down a couple of times. Yarmolenko went down a couple of times. A couple of the defenders did, the, the centre-forward that Yarmolenko did. How, how much of that was a bit of gamesmanship? You don't know, but they all insisted. But um, the two guys I spoke to at length insisted that it would be fine. Um, they said that the training sessions had, had been of a match-like intensity already and they've been used to sort of having recovery and that kind of thing um so taking them at their word you would think that that they'll be good to go after a day or two in the ice bath and whatever else people are given these days and i i think four days 
between games, three clear games, a recovery is not bad. I think if it was anything less, there might be an issue. Um, I do worry about what happens to them after the hour mark against Wales, that kind of threshold, because I think we did see them fade a bit yesterday, as we've already outlined. And I think if Wales are not behind after an hour or so, maybe they'll be able to push on and put them un under the pump a bit. I, I think it's going to be tough for Ukraine, honestly, uh, on, on Sunday. But then I thought it was going to be tough yesterday and they were a class above for all of the game apart from 10 or 15 minutes. So that's a very long-winded way of saying, I don't know. It's <laughs> Let's just wait and see. There, 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 I mean, there are so many in, intangibles here. And I think uh, there was so much talk before the game yesterday, wasn't there? You know, are Ukraine going to come out and be held forever? Are they going to come out and be cowed and get, you know, beaten 2 or 3 nil? which was what I feared would happen. And then we saw them play with absolute clarity. And I think clarity was the thing. There was just a, a total common purpose behind what they did. And Jonathan Lewis actually, he, he was here too. He's written a, a very good column along those lines from the game, which I urge you to find out, to, to find later, just sort of saying, yeah, there was this I mean, united common purpose and clarity behind all that they did. And if they find that again on Sunday, it's going to be tight. I, I think it's... I wouldn't want to call the outcome, but but I think if Wales are alive and kicking in the game after an hour or so, they could well push on. This is this is still part of the long-winded answer saying I don't know, isn't it? <laughs> oh, I'm, go, I'm going to we... go on. All, I'm, I've, I, I've got nowhere to be, Max. So I, I can absolutely carry on. I can I can catch a train so, at seven pm. Don't worry. About I love it. the idea of mid-long answer deconstructing the long answer. This is quite a long answer saying I don't know, and then carrying on with the sort of meta. This is meta podcasting, <laughs> Nick. You've taken us to a new level. That's the aim. Um, well, look, we'll, we will find out on Sunday, won't we? Uh, as I said, Ellis will join us. Um, so uh, we will has we will either have the most despondent or the happiest Ellis James in the history of time uh, on Monday. Uh, now, looking into the other Nations League games, England are in Group A three. Still sounds like battleships to me, doesn't it? A three, you've sunk my frigate, um, which features Italy, Germany, and Hungary. And Nick, you have the uh, you're doing all are you doing all the games? You doing all the England games? Yep, I, I will be in Budapest, Munich and Molyneux. Um, guess which bits of that trip I'm looking forward are to the most. At, are we playing um, at Molyneux? I, know, I think that's great that we're doing that, actually. <laughs> I, I didn't no, know. it is. It, um, it is. And it's, it is a slight shame, therefore, that one of the games, I think it's the Italy game, is, is going to be played not in front of many fans, just like a, a few thousand school children because of, of the punishment that was handed down last year. Um, and in fact, the Hungary game as well in Budapest, we're, we're going to be spared, hopefully, the less savoury element of Hungary's fan base, because I think in a stadium that holds 60,000 or so, the plan is that there might be as many as 30,000 children with their responsible adults in there. So well, that'll sound like I remember going to watch the England, like the Victory Shield, like under 50 something that like went to a game and it's very sort of screamy. It'll sound like, yes, Joel says it'll sound like Soccer Aid. It'll sound like a Little Mix gig, won't it? Yeah. I mean, Gareth Southgate says all the right things. It's probably quite important. I, I do, I don't know about you, I just fear for how tired these players are. Like, and I just, I, you know, I understand, we understand we spoke about yesterday about why this is happening now, but like the key is to just keep these players fit, isn't it? Yeah, there'll have to be some judicious use of the, uh, 
squad. We've we've seen players pull out already, such as Ben White through injury. Wouldn't wouldn't surprise me if after the first couple of games, maybe we saw one or two more head off on their on their on their break, depending on on how they've been used. I think it will just be a case of, of squad management, giving people minutes, getting people. I mean, all, all the cliches really, getting people people a bit familiar with the system and how Southgate wants to play going forwards into the World Cup. But I, I don't think you'll be able to, to see a really coherent image of what England will look like in Qatar until September um, when when there are more games, because I think it's impossible to present it now. I think there is a sort of sense, not for journalists, but maybe for the players, that it's a bit of going through the motions of the next week or two. I, I, I don't think... You know, um, the Nations League came on the scene with a bit of fanfare, and I'm I'm a big proponent of it, and I think everyone should be. But the timing of it now doesn't do it that many favours, because especially given we got the World Cup later in the year, and we've we've just come off this domestic season, and we've had they they do appear to be sort of glorified friendlies at best these games, and I think that's how they'll be treated. There'll be a lot of experimentation, and I I don't think people will care too much for the outcome or where they finish in the group and that kind of thing. That said, Germany v England is always a hugely competitive game in Munich. So I think, um, um, how how long can I make this answer, Max? What are you laughing uh, at, Ben? <laughs> I think he's laughing at the length of my rambling answer. Yeah, I, I thought you were smiling at that as well, Max. So I... <laughs> <laughs> That's my fault. It's my fault, is it? Well, I was laughing because Nick said journalists aren't going through the motions. Uh, you've heard Jonathan Wilson yesterday. You would disagree entirely <laughs> with, with that statement. Let's talk about, let, we'll talk about La Finalissima. Uh, Luke says, I just wanted to say the Finalissima was brilliant. Messi was terrific. Pleasure to see Bonucci and send off Chiellini. Argentinian and Italian fans created a great atmosphere. Amazing to experience a sold-out Wembley as an Aussie who probably won't get another chance. Yeah, the Conmebol UEFA Cup of Champions. Uh, it is a revival of the Artemio Frankie Cup, which has competed twice before in 1985 when France beat Uruguay and in 1993 where Argentina beat Denmark on penalties. I like the idea of just doing it at random years. So the next one will be in 2037. Um, but Messi played very well. He's quite good. Di Maria scored a lovely dink. Uh, Chiellini played the first half, 118 games. Uh, what an incredible career. I mean, there was a proper trophy lift with fireworks and plinths and suits and all that. And I thought maybe that is a step too far for La Finalissima. Um, and, and the one thing I got from this is, does Peter Drury ever have a night, like ever have a night off? Like he's, at some point, you'll, if, you, if you find the highlights of, there will be a game every night that Peter Drury is commentating on. Then I wondered, is he happy at home? Like what's like, it's always out of the hat, unless he's doing it from his basement. He's always there. And Lautaro Martinez scored a goal and Drury sort of went to World Cup final levels of, you know, like quite often Drury goes straight to 10 out of 10 when you're like, this is only the finalissima. Like you've got to leave something in the tank for the World Cup final, Peter. Um, but well done to to Argentina. Yes, Nick. Um, no, I was, I, I was just thinking of your disrespect at saying only the finalissima. Um, <laughs> shocking disrespect to the Frankie Trophy. No, I, 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 um, I, I must admit, um, counter to my point of going of not going through the motions. I, I didn't realise that that game was on yesterday until a fellow journalist from a rival publication and informed me at 4 or 5 p.m. And it's, um, I mean, I was just so absorbed in Ukraine, Scotland, obviously, but it, um, it, it didn't get a lot of fanfare. I, I do wonder whether a lot of the motivation for this game is, is the 
behind the scenes machinations between Conmebol and UEFA in terms of a sort of large Nations League style tournament they're planning between themselves. Um, I wonder whether the real intrigue was behind the scenes rather than on the pitch yesterday. I think there, were, um, there have been quite a lot of uh, conversations going on. Uh, right, that'll do for part two. Uh, part three, uh, we'll do a bit of Sadio Mane going to Bayern Munich, Paul Pogba leaving and any other business. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Before we talk about Paul Pogba, Sadio Mane has reportedly agreed a three-year deal with Bayern Munich, which, which Ben, I find a, a real surprise. I don't know why. I just sort of, pres- I, 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 I didn't see this coming. And I think it's, I don't know. I think that's quite a big blow to Liverpool. Yeah, and no, I, I think it's, talking from a sort of neutral sense, I think it's a real shame um, to sort of put my Premier League head on for, for, for the league. And, and obviously for Liverpool, I think been such a key component of all the good things they've done. Um, Salah probably and probably rightly so still gets that sort of uh, place on the on the podium or whatever ahead of him. You know he, he's sort of ahead of him in the pecking order. But Mane has just been electric uh, for a number of years. Such a good signing from Southampton. I remember seeing him there, obviously first uh, myself in when he scored that hat trick that in record time, and he thought it was a good signing for Liverpool, but probably not not as good as he has been. Um, and I think Bayern Munich, they probably need, obviously, uh, somebody to sort of fly the flag for them if Lewandowski is going to go. And that kind of fits the bill. But yeah, it would be a massive, massive blow for Liverpool. Obviously, I think cushioned by the fact that Luis Diaz has been such a good signing since January. Again, probably nobody could have expected him to be as good as he's been. And really, I suppose it's a pat on the back for Liverpool's recruitment. Um, they don't seem to get too many uh, wrong, too many misses. Um, even the ones that maybe don't hit it off straight away have, have been successes over time. You know, Simicast has looked really good, I think, when I've seen him recently. Obviously, Thiago was a bit of a slow burner, but it's been excellent. And um, Canate at the back, I mean, the list goes on. And yeah, Mar- I just think Mane's been such a good player. He's so good to watch. Will, will be a big miss. Yeah, quite, quite sad to see him go if, if that's the case. Um, I'd be interested to see what Liverpool do, Nick, because as Ben mentioned, you know, Jota and Diaz have been so brilliant. And it's funny, Jota was so good at the start of this season, the first half of this season, that everyone was like, wow, Jota's sort of like first name on the team sheet type levels. And then by the Champions League final, it was like, well, Diaz has to start. And so Klopp could almost survive without getting anybody, but it'd be fascinating to see what he does. Yeah, I think I think he might freshen it up with somebody. Like we've, we've seen, you know, for example, Firmino's prominence up there is, has become a bit less over time hasn't it and there was already a bit of talk do they do they do something where where, um, where he's concerned and i guess now now that Mane is see, seemingly off if 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 that is allowed to happen um i would expect them to to bring somebody in pretty sharpish actually and and reinforce and 
fleshing things up is is not necessarily a bad thing you know they've they've just had a tremendous season that you know by any other measure would have probably landed them more trophies than it has um but it there's no harm in tweaking it and i think fleshing up their front line which has been so good for them down the years might be okay like mano how old is he 29 30 30 i think so you've arguably had had his best years so maybe bring in someone with a bit of a higher long-term ceiling. We'll see. Yeah, quite interesting to know if they go for someone who can do both sort of wide and down the middle, or like, or, or they could, they have space for a, you know, out and out centre forward from somewhere. Uh, on to Paul Pogba. Joachim says, he's letting a player go for free, then paying 93 million to bring him back, then letting him go for free once again, the most Manchester United thing ever. Uh, the club statement was interesting. It began, it was a low-key end to a United career. I don't think I've ever heard anything start so bleakly about someone leaving a club. They brought so many individual high moments, so many beautiful goals, assists and pieces of skill. For a boy that joined the academy at 16 to make over 200 United appearances and lift the Youth Cup along with two major pieces of silver where it's something that should be applauded and celebrated. It, it almost feels like, Ben, they're saying, look, like, please don't criticise Pogba too much for what has not been a great... It just hasn't worked, right? And maybe if he could cost 50 million, it just would have felt different. The whole thing would have felt different because 93 million is such a lot of money. But it's probably best for everybody, isn't it? Yeah, I hadn't actually seen that statement. It sounds like a, sounds like a sort of fluffy match report intro that that first couple of words but um yeah he's it's just been disastrous hasn't it I mean I mean that sort of wanting to go full Roy Keane it, it's just not worked at all it's dragged on for so long it's just become a circus the little I don't know messages and posts every now and then it's always oh, he unhappy is he going to do this is he going to do that it's just been so unhelpful um for a long time he hasn't backed anything up on the pitch. He hasn't every time you think he's about to get going, it doesn't happen. I just think they should have done this ages ago. Um, and as you say, from a business sense, for what is you know this super brand, this almost you know country in its own right, almost almost, um, it's pretty embarrassing. I would have thought um, to, to let him go on a free. And also, I think it creates a problem because it they're so weak in that area of the pitch. As much as he's not been great, so I'm sort of contradicting myself here. Now they, I mean, it's a massive summer anyway for Ten Hag, but they've got so much to do to get anywhere near that top four, I think. Um, so it'd be interesting how they replace and, and strengthen there. And look, uh, by all accounts, going to Juve, he is also such a brilliant player. Like, like if you watch, like if you just go and watch his highlights of uh, Juve, and I say YouTube highlights reels, you know, I thought, Lo Celso was the next Messi when he signed for Tottenham. Like they can be sort of slightly misleading, but he has got so much talent that you just hope that he goes to UA and flourishes and everybody is happy. Um, Kurt Zuma has been uh, sentenced to 180 hours of community service after pleading guilty to kicking and slapping a cat. Uh, the West Ham defender was handed a 12-month community order banned from keeping cats for five years. Um, he was told to pay nearly £9,000 in court costs West Ham released a statement saying West Ham United wishes to make clear that we condemn in the strongest terms any form of animal abuse or cruelty. This type of behaviour is unacceptable and is not in line with the values of the football club. Kurt admitted at the earliest opportunity that what he did was wrong. He's apologised without reservation. We hope that now the court has reached a decision, everyone will allow Kurt the chance to learn from his mistake and move on. 
In a statement, the RSPCA Chief Inspectorate Officer Dermot Murphy says, we hope this case will serve as a reminder that all animals deserve to be treated with kindness, compassion and respect and we will not tolerate cruelty by anybody. I mean, I don't know how court verdicts work. It seems weird to put a number of years on when you can't have a cat, if that's what you do to cats. Full credit to the person who dressed as a cat and stood outside the court. Um, but at the same time, I guess forgiveness is a thing as well, isn't it? And hopefully he has learned his lesson. Uh, and now yesterday they announced the shortlist of the PFA Player of the Year. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne, Mo Salah, Sadio Mane, Virgil van Dijk, Cristiano Ronaldo, Harry Kane. So no Hyung Min's son. This is the, this is really upset a lot of people. Um, Bob says, does uh, son not being nominated for PFA Player of the Year show how much of a shambles it really is? Uh, last season Kane was top scorer and assists and didn't win it. Obviously, I'm a biased Spurs fan. I think I can justify this one. I remember, I can't remember which ex-pro told me about how they did it but literally they just handed a piece of paper and in the dressing room they just sort of go who are you going for all right and they do it in march i don't know why anyone does it exercise either of you nick does it does it i just don't um, care i i i just couldn't care less about this stuff um but i i, I yeah they do do it early i think is the answer and son son obviously i mean a lot to be fair Everyone was talking about well, everyone wasn't talking about Son, but a lot of people were talking talking about Son towards towards the end of the season and Willie Wayne to become top scorer. Hasn't he done well? But they probably weren't a couple of months ago, were they? Um, rightly or wrongly, he 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 kind of ended the season so well and so strongly that that it became a thing. So I guess that when the voting wasn't done, it was less of an obvious pick, um, but in, in hindsight, he's been sensational. I like, I love him, and he should definitely be on that list. But I think it's an accident of timing rather than of being being disrespected by his fellow professional footballers. Um, Sam Kerr, Penilla Harder, had the Women's Player of the Year uh, shortlist. Um, uh, well done to Rio Ferdinand getting an OBE for services to football and charity, as does Gareth Bale. Uh, he gets an MBE. Uh, which is nice. Um, and uh, Lewis says, uh, uh, we were talking about VAR and then people going to court after bad VAR decisions after Huddersfield didn't get those penalties. Uh, Lewis says, if a VAR VAR agrees with a claimant that there actually was a clear and obvious error that was missed by VAR, would this constitute a verified admission of an obvious mistake, i.e. a VAR VAR VOOM? Lots of people ask if Thierry Henry would be involved in some way in the VAR VAR VOOM. Um, which is a step on from when VAR began and Barry and I decided it would be Ron Vlaar's VAR and Ron Vlaar would be <laughs> making all the decisions from like a bunker in the Netherlands. Um, I'm glad I've reminded myself of that. Uh, Alex says, any end of season anecdote gold from Ben Fisher running out of milk for his halftime tea perhaps or leaving his pasty on the night bus? What was What is the, the absolute peak Ben Fisher moment of 2021-22? It's a great question. Um, it is a great question. It's the question that everyone's been waiting for. The only thing I can think of is quite box fresh, actually, just from yesterday. A box fresh anecdote for, for all the listeners. Very uh, nice and dull. Um, no, I, I very fittingly got, got stuck in the underground car park at the stadium. So um, I spent about an hour and a half trying to get my accreditations, getting very, you know, for people to take joy in my misery. Uh, it's quite the hiccup. Um, and I, there was a moment I thought I could actually end up I've come all this way and there, there, there's a scenario where I could actually end up outside the stadium and you know all those things are going through your head outside the stadium for the game you know how, how am I going to do it 
would I end up watching on a screen somewhere? You know, would you pretend? Would you be too embarrassed to tell the boss that you hadn't managed to get inside and just pretend? Because like, not everyone. You know, it's you know, it's not the biggest game in the world. No one would really notice, etc. You could have bluffed it. Yeah, it's a hard one to answer that, isn't it, Max? Well, I mean, I don't know. It depends how much journalistic integrity you have. Lots of it, lots of it, in abundance. Um, But yeah, no, it just felt quite a fitting way to, I mean, the season, as we know, is not finished. Obviously, Sunday, the the big one, the playoff final. But yeah, it felt quite a fitting way to finish, just aimlessly pottering around. It's like this concrete jungle underneath. It's how I imagine if you get stuck in like the Emirates Stadium car park, just underneath, just full of grey concrete sort of towers and... Yeah, not not good. It's quite stressful. But um, when you were stuck in that underground car park, did you think, you know, this isn't great now? But I know a I know a vehicle. I know a, a place where I can mention this. This is this 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 is another string to my bow of car park based anecdotes. Yeah, and I sort of kept coming up for air, like outside of those these little stairs, and it's, I felt like a little meerkat just sort of coming up, and then I'd see a steward who just spoke very little English, and I sort of trot back down back to my rightful place. And then um, I ended up doing like a lap of the ground, underground. Um, but eventually the guy unlocked one of these gates and I was freed and uh, it was all okay. But yeah, it was, um, wasn't ideal, put it that way. There's a TV series in, in this, isn't there? Sort of Ben Fisher being, 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 being a sort of journalistic Carl Pilkington sort of blundering his way around European he does, football destination. He does. Of the, of the panellists, he, he has the most Cole Pilkington-like feel. And, you know, given that Barry is on this pod quite a lot, that is saying something, isn't it? Anyway, look, well done for getting out of the car park uh, alive, Ben, and going to the game. Of course, as any Guardian journalist, you would have been unscrupulously honest. Um, and uh, good luck in all your endeavours parking at... Uh, uh, the Cardiff is it the Cardiff City Stadium? Cardiff City Stadium on Sunday, yes. Yeah. And we'll be back on Monday uh, to talk about it. But uh, in the meantime, thank you, Ben. Cheers. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, Max. Uh, we'll be back on Monday. Guardian Football Weekly is produced by Joel Grove with Silas Gray. Our executive producer is Max Sanders. This is the Guardian. 